Thank you for listening to the Christ the King Church podcast. We exist to help people know, love, and obey Jesus as Lord over all of life. For more information about our church, please visit us at ctksensi.com. Good morning, church. He is risen. So for kids that have uh, the class, which, which door are they going out? Are they going out this door? Is that right? Yes? Okay. So if you're one of the kids going to that class, you can go ahead and head out now. And uh, while you're heading out, I'll tell you a story about a kid. Uh, we were here Friday night for the Good Friday service. And while I was standing at the back door, Judah Thomas, he looked at me and he said, Pastor Michael? I said, yeah. He said, I love Jesus. I really do. Two years old. <laughs> Just precious. And I was like, do you really now? And I started messing with him. He's like, I really do. <laughs> so, yeah, so if, you're, if your kid is of an age where they're asking questions and they want to know more about the gospel, um, Sign them up for that, that baptism class. That baptism class is really just a, it's a gospel class. It is going through the fundamentals of the gospel that is age appropriate for um, young kids, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, whatever age, just go through the gospel. And then after that, uh, parents can decide what to do as far as baptism going forward. Well, my name is Michael. I am the lead pastor here. And it is great to celebrate Easter together. Easter is the celebration of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, because the resurrection is the great hope of the world. The bodies of all the great religious leaders of the past have all died and are buried. The body of Abraham, the body of Moses, the body of David, they are buried in the ground. The body of Confucius, the body of Muhammad, the body of Buddha, Somewhere on this earth, somewhere is buried in the ground because they have died and they don't raise again. These religious leaders all died. They were all buried because that's what happened when you die. You are buried and you, you stay dead. You don't come out of the grave. But there is one who died and who was buried for three days, but he was raised again and his name is Jesus Christ. The world is a mess. It always has been. But maybe it's more obvious to you in these days than it has been in the past. At the bottom of it all, the world is a mess because of sin. Sin is any act that goes against God's design for the world. It is an act of rebellion against God's plan, against God's character, against God's law. So do you, feel, do you know what happens if you put regular gasoline into a diesel engine? It ruins the engine because that's not what it was designed for. You're doing something that was wrong, that it was not designed for, and that causes the engine to break. And that is what we have done with God's world. God created this world for His glory. He made it perfect, harmonious. Everything was in balance. Everything was ordered in the right way. God made this world for us as humans to inhabit, and God would inhabit this world with us, for us to have fellowship with God, God dwelling in the midst of us. But we, as humans, we sinned against God. We violated God's design. And so sin spread throughout the world like a virus. The mortality rate of sin is 100%. Sin kills everyone it infects. 
and everyone, myself included, were all infected with that virus. But it doesn't kill us immediately, right? I mean, we do live. We can live a long time. But eventually, death catches up to us. Spiritually, everyone is born in sin, which means we are all born spiritually dead. Now, we also will die physically at some point, but spiritually, we're already dead. And that's why the resurrection of Jesus Christ is so important. That is why this is such a big deal, because there was one man who was not born in sin. He did not have the virus. He was not infected, which means that he had, there was no reason for him to ever die. He never sinned his entire life because he was God in human flesh. Nevertheless, he was willing to die as though he were infected. He was willing to die so that he could rescue others from it. So Christ, being the perfect man, was without sin in every way, but he died as though he were the worst of all sinners. And so after they crucified him, they buried him in a tomb. And he lay there, dead, cold, three days. And yet, on the third day, he physically arose from the dead, and he walked out of that tomb. And then he appeared to hundreds of people, many of whom gave eyewitness testimony that they had seen him alive. And then, having fulfilled everything that God called him to do, he ascended in his body to the Father, and all believers now in Christ await his return. What I just told you is not a myth, it's not a fairy tale, it's not a fiction, it's not a fantasy. This is a fact of history. Jesus Christ physically, literally, bodily walked out of the grave after having been dead for three days. And we are here because that resurrection story means something for all of us. Easter is the most important day. Because it's when we celebrate the most important thing that has ever happened. The life, death, and resurrection of Jesus is the focal point of all of human history. The events and the meaning of his life are all summarized in one word, gospel. Gospel means good news. It is the good news that God came and he invaded our planet. God dwelt as one of us. He lived a perfect life in Jesus Christ. He was crucified and died as though he were a sinner. And yet, by the power of God, because he is God, he rose again on the third day. And whoever places faith in Jesus Christ, they themselves are also rescued from their sin. So I'm going to read some scripture from the Bible about the resurrection, and then we're going to talk a little bit about what that means. So let's dig in. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and I want to read verses 12 through 28. Let's listen to God's word. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, How can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. 
We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that He raised Christ, whom He did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is accepted who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. This is God's word. I'm hearing a pop, so I want to take this little piece of tape off. I think this is a new microphone, and it was, and so it's a little bit too close to my mouth. That should, that should be better, so sorry for messing up sound, sound guys. All right, what I want to talk about is this. There are three things, three benefits that the resurrection of Jesus Christ has provided for us. The first one is forgiveness. In verse 17, Paul said, And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. So if sin is like a virus, then forgiveness is the only cure. And the resurrection of Jesus is our guarantee that we are forgiven. So just think about how often we sin against each other. We do it every day. All of us, we all sin against each other. We have been sinned against through lies, through anger, through sexual sin, through stealing, through sinful desires, and any other number of ways that we sin against each other. Now, what if you decided that you are never going to forgive anyone ever again? You're never going to forgive anyone who ever hurt you. What would happen? Eventually, every relationship that you have will end. Because you cannot have a relationship with somebody who is a sinful human and expect to not have to ever forgive them. Because sinners are going to sin. That's what we do. That happens. And if you choose to never forgive anyone, then that means that there's never going to be the possibility for you to have a real relationship with them. You'd have no friends. You'd disown your parents, your mom, your dad, brother, sister. There'd be no marriage, no relationship with your kids. 
And then what if nobody ever forgave you? Let's say everybody else made the same decision. They decided they're not going to forgive you either. Try to imagine what would be like then. We'd all kill each other. There'd be no way to survive. Could we live in a world where nobody forgave anybody? Of course not. We need to have forgiveness. And so if sinners like us need to forgive one another in order to have a relationship, how much more so do we need God to forgive us against whom is every sin ultimately? We need the forgiveness of God if we were to ever know God, to ever relate to God, to ever be in union with God as he designed it, as he created it to be. We are the ones who broke his good world. And every one of us has contributed our own measure of sin to the to the mess that we're in in this world. And so if God is willing to forgive us, then how much more should we forgive one another and receive that forgiveness that he offers? The guarantee that he is willing to forgive us is in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Paul says, if Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, then your faith is futile and you are still in your sins, which means if Jesus didn't actually physically raise from the dead, then God doesn't forgive you. God is against you. And therefore, the basis of our forgiveness of one another is no longer applicable. We can't live without forgiveness. But since Jesus was raised from the dead, as we know that he was, then all the blessings of grace and forgiveness and mercy are yours through faith in Christ. And that's good, right? That's good for me personally. That's good for you personally. That's good for our relationships with one another. That is ultimately good with our relationship with God. But what about the world? What about the future? How do we live in this world where there is so much sin? And the answer to that is the next, the next benefit of the resurrection. Because of Jesus' resurrection, we have hope both in this life and in the life to come. So second is we have hope. Verse 19, Paul says, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. So here's the fact. Every one of us is an eternal being. Think about that. Every one of you is an eternal being. There is never going to be a time at any point in the future where you will not exist in some way. God created us eternally. We're created in the image of an eternal God. So whenever you die, you do not just become, you know, your energy doesn't just disperse into the universe and you cease to be. No, you continue. You go on. Your soul goes on forever. So we'll never cease to exist. Therefore, we need to have hope not only for this life, but also for all eternity, right? Now, some people, progressive Christians, liberal Christians, for example, they treat Christianity like a self-improvement program. And they treat the church like some sort of community service project where we draw inspiration from the cross. We draw inspiration from the story, the myth of the resurrection. And because that inspires us, then we therefore are inspired to do good things for our fellow man. Liberal Christianity is, it gives us hope for this life and that's it. It is all about what can we do to improve this world right now. 
but it doesn't offer hope for eternity because they don't believe, many of them anyway, they don't believe that these things are literal. But here's the thing, Jesus didn't come to earth to merely get us to be nicer to each other or to get us to do good deeds. If that were the case, there would be no need for him to die in the first place. He would just give us hope in this life, but rather Jesus died and he rose again so that we would have hope for this life and for the next life, for all eternity. In fact, it is the hope of eternal life that gives us strength to endure the trials and the problems of this life. It is knowing that no matter how bad or difficult or painful things are in this life, no matter how much sin we encounter or problems we endure, the hope that we have, the strength that we have to endure through all these things is ultimately knowing that all of that will come to an end and that Christ is coming back when he will put all of his enemies under his feet. And he will reign forever and he will put a stop to all the suffering, all the sin, all the wrong, all the injustice. He will make everything right when he returns. And that gives us strength to endure now in this life as we hope for the next. Because if all Jesus did was give us a little more inspiration for this life, to get through this life, then we're no better than a Hallmark card. The resurrection isn't true, you all should be in bed right now, sleeping in on a Sunday morning, and then planning for some activity outside today, because it's going to be a beautiful day. Why would you bother getting up and showing up at a building, and getting dressed up and singing songs to some fake God that isn't real about some Jesus that these kooks think that actually raised from the dead? What are you doing here? We are here because this happened, because this is real. And the fact that it is real means that it demands something of every human being because he is the God who created you. He entered into human flesh for our sake so that he can rescue us from the misery of the human condition to give us hope in this life and to give us hope for the next life. Religion for religion's sake is a lame hobby. And so like I said earlier, the world's a mess right now. And what if we believe that there's no hope beyond it? What if we believe that there's no resurrection, there's no return of Christ that is coming, there's no final judgment, there's no eternal reign? That's pretty much what progressive Christianity believes. But Paul says, those people are most to be pitied. They have some form of religion, but it's not the real thing. But that's not why we're here. We're here because we believe the Bible is true and that it testifies to a real resurrection of the Son of God on the third day. And since Christ is raised, then we hope for all the future things that the Bible promises us. And that gives us hope in the present. So what about eternity? The third benefit of the resurrection is life. Forgiveness, hope, and life. Verse 22, Paul said, As in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. When he mentions Adam, he's talking about the original, Adam and Eve. He's talking about going all the way back to the beginning when we see God's design in its perfected form. We see God making the world. 
and the perfections and the beauty and the glory and all of the, the, everything in its right place, everything operating the way it should be, the way God made it to work. Whenever Adam sinned, he plunged the human race into sin. And everybody is descended from that pair, which means all of us have the virus. And so Paul says, in Adam all die. However, in Christ shall all be made alive. Jesus is the new Adam. He is the humanity 2.0, the upgraded humanity, the real humanity that Jesus shows us by God inhabiting human flesh, humanity as it should have been. And so for those of us who have faith in Jesus, we, are, we remove ourselves from the curse of Adam and we enter into the blessedness of Christ. We are in Jesus. So I've heard it said, Jesus didn't say, I am finished. Jesus said, it is finished. I am just getting started. And that's the way it is for us. Whenever Jesus got up on that third day and the, tomb was, the stone was rolled away from the front of the tomb and Jesus walked out, he walked out in a resurrected, glorified physical body with hope and newness of life. He was completely renewed. And there is a seamless connection between the resurrection of Jesus 2,000 years ago in the past and the resurrection of all believers at some point in the, in the future. The future resurrection of all believers is linked, as we just read, to the resurrection of the past. If the past resurrection didn't happen, then there's no, hope, there's no point in hoping for it in the future. But if it did happen, then Jesus will certainly return, and we who believe in Christ are in Him. So His resurrection is our resurrection. It renews us within. It gives us hope. It were changed from the inside out by the power of the Spirit. And so 1 Thessalonians verse 4 said, The dead in Christ shall rise first, then we who are alive will be caught up together with them. He is talking about at some point when Jesus returns, those who are in the graves, those who have already died, they will rise first. He's talking about the return of Christ. There will be a resurrection that takes place at the return of Christ. Those who are dead, they will rise first. But then... Those who are still alive, who are still on the earth walking around whenever Jesus returns, they will rise with them. And when I say life, those who are alive, what I mean is not life exactly the way we experience it now. I'm saying the life of eternity is life that is in the resurrection of Jesus. Whenever Jesus walked out of the grave, he had a glorified resurrection physical body which will be at least in we will have something similar to that. Whatever it is, Paul says that we will be given a body like his glorious body in the book of Philippians. We will be given some kind of resurrection body whenever Christ returns. And what that means is the total defeat and eradication of all of the effects of sin, the virus, death, all that will be gone. So just as Jesus was raised to life in a new physical body, so too we will be raised into new life in a physical body. That means no more heart attacks, no more kidney failures, no more sleep disorders, no more migraine headaches, no more aching joints, no more bad backs, no more torn ACLs, no more psychological disorders, no more prescription medication, no more hearing loss, no more glasses. No more doctor visits, no more hospitals, no more pharmacies. No more aging, 
No more illness, no more weakness, no more death. In eternity, we will all be forever young. And that won't just be a clever name for the seniors ministry. It'll be our reality. Forever young. Think of the elves, Lord of the Rings. Forever young. Not the keyboard kind, the Tolkien kind of elves. If you know the keyboard elves, some of you too, maybe too young. Did they, the keyboard, they still have the elves? they still do that? Mike, you're shaking your head. No, they don't do that anymore. Okay, when I was a kid, we had the keyboard elves. And these little cartoon guys hanging around a treehouse. So, not that. We're talking about the elves and Lord of the Rings, forever young. All of this is possible because Jesus found a way out of the grave. That's it. Not merely that some guy just happened to be raised, but because Jesus Christ is God. And he came and inhabited a physical body in order to rescue us from the virus of sin and death that, that we all have. He made a way out of the grave because he is God, and no grave could ever hold him down because he is life. He is the source of all life. So every moment that we've lived in this life since birth, think of this, we've lived this life under the weight of the curse of sin with death as this looming possibility forever in front of our eyes. But whenever we wake up in eternity, in the presence of Christ, we will be more alive than we've ever been, completely free from all the effects of sin. So all these things are the blessed promises of Scripture. All of them were bought by the blood of Christ, which is of infinite value. And he did this for his church, for the sake of those who would believe in Jesus, and through their faith in him, they too would be rescued. They would have new life. They would have the hope of eternity. Now, that's not everybody, is it? Most of us, I would imagine, have made explicit faith in Jesus, a faith commitment where we have, we have all confessed to God our sin, our rebellion, the wickedness that's in our hearts. And we, we do this continually as a, as a rhythm. We did it earlier in our liturgy whenever we read a confession. It's part of what we do. It is, it is the kind of the, the, the baseline prayer of a Christian soul, God have mercy on me, a sinner. Every Christian has prayed that in one way or another. And in fact, that is how you become a Christian. Not, the pray, not, not that you have to pray a specific word, but that you have to have a heart that expresses that desire. A heart that says, God have mercy on me, a sinner. And we know that God can have mercy because Jesus lived. He rose from the grave. That's how we know that all the things that he said and taught and did were authenticated and vindicated by the resurrection. But there are many who may be in this room now that you have not done that yet. And so there's no better day to settle that issue than on Easter Sunday. So I want to give you an opportunity to do that. And what I mean is, in a moment, I'm going to pray. 
and I'm going to walk through a prayer that is an invitation to find life in Christ. So that involves an acknowledgement, ABCs of Christianity, an acknowledgement is the first one, I am a sinner. There's no getting around that, which means you've got to humble yourself. You can't be too proud, you can't, there's no place for pride in the kingdom of God. You have to humble yourself and say, yeah, I've, I've blown it. Not just, not just in here or there, made a few mistakes. No, I've blown it by sinning and rebelling against God. There's no way around that. But because Jesus has forgiveness that he offers us, we believe in Christ, which means we believe that even though we have sinned against him, that his life, death, and resurrection proves that what he promised us was true. God will forgive you. There's nobody that's beyond the reach of God's grace. You might think, well, Pastor Michael, you don't know what I've done. (laughs) That's right, I don't. And maybe there's some terrible things that you're deeply ashamed of, but God knows it. And yet, you are here. And God sovereignly ordained that you would be in this room hearing these words today. And so I could say I believe this with all of my heart. These are sovereignly ordained words that God wants you to hear and to receive and to respond to. So when you believe in Jesus, you're not merely believing some fact that, oh yeah, okay, I believe that there was this guy named Jesus and he rose from the, from the grave. That's not what I mean by believe. A belief is a heart commitment. It is saying, I believe that Jesus, you forgave me. It's personal. So Jesus' resurrection day can be your resurrection day. You believe. See, commit. So it's not a thing that you do once and then you wipe your brow and like, all right, well, I got, got that over with. You know, let's go on with my life as before. No, it's a, it's a commitment. Jesus, to believe in Jesus includes the commitment to Jesus as Lord. And so that means I want to know more about him. I want to pray. I want to know his word. I want to know his people. I want to be part of that family. Acknowledge your sin, believe the truth of his word that he will forgive you, commit your life to him, ABC, that is how you become a Christian. And then this church family is here to help you at all the steps in the way, along the way, to grow in that commitment. Oh, let's pray. Our Father and our God, we thank you that you sent your only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. We thank you, Jesus, that you suffered more than any human could suffer, not merely the, the unbelievable pain of the cross, but you bore the full weight of God's wrath against sin, and you were punished for our sake, the innocent, the man who is just for the unjust, for those who are guilty. Thank you, Jesus, for the cross. Thank you, Jesus, for your redeemed church, the bride that is here gathered to sing worship to you, to feast on the sacrament, to receive your word, to pray, to confess to declare the truth of Scripture, the truth that we believe of the gospel. Lord, I thank you for everyone that is not 
a believer, not a converted Christian at this moment hearing my words. Thank you, Lord, that in your sovereign providence, you brought them here today, whether by invitation or by accident or website or any other way, Lord. You saw that today would be the day that they would be in this room and that they would hear the good news of the gospel laid bare before them. Lord, I pray that those people will know your tender compassion. You love people. You sent your son that they can have life. Holy Spirit, press that on their heart so that they will know this is true, this is real. This is not a game. This is not an event. It's not a club. This is real. This is eternity. Life and death hang in the balance. And so I ask now, Holy Spirit, press the truth of your word, the truth of the gospel message, deeply into their heart so that they will respond in faith to your invitation. If that's you, I invite you to pray silently along with me. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I acknowledge my sin. I've got the virus. I've rebelled against your plan, your will, your law. And I want to be rescued. I want to be forgiven so that I can have hope not only for this life, but for eternity. So that eternal life will be mine. So I acknowledge my sin. I believe your word, Lord Jesus, that you will forgive me. I believe your word that there is no sin in my life that is beyond the reach of your grace. And I receive it. Not because I'm a great person. Not because I'm moral. But because I acknowledge that I'm not and that I need help. Help me, Jesus. I believe your word. And I commit my life to you. Lord Jesus, show me. Where do we begin? What's the first step coming out of this room today? What's the first step of faith towards new life that you have borne in my heart? The resurrection of Jesus is now the resurrection of my own life. Today is my resurrection day. Show me what is that first step towards a life of obedience and love and devotion to you, my King and my Lord and my God. And now, church, as we conclude this prayer, Lord, I ask you, Commune with us and dine with us. Meet us at this table as we feast on the blood and body of Jesus Christ. We pray all these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. We are Christ the King Church. For more information about our church, please visit us at ctkcincy.com.